If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley and I'm the senior pastor here at Hope. And we are in a series, it's called Multiverse and is loosely based on the Spider-Man movies, the whole concept of there are different versions of us in different dimensions. Well, there's one version of us before we trust in Jesus. And, and then after we trust in Jesus, what happens is the Holy Spirit, he moves in and he, he changes our lives like only he can do. And we're talking about the fruits that he produces in our lives. Uh, so we've been rooted in this verse. It's from Galatians, Galatians 5, 22. You can say it with me if you know it. We've been saying it every week. I feel like, I feel like we've got it. It says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And unfortunately, we only have one more week of this series after today. I'm so bummed about that. We've had so much fun just learning from God and hearing who he is and who we are because of who he is. But anyway, today's fruit is gentleness. Everybody say gentleness gentleness. God is gentle. And it's not something that we often talk about, but it is who he is. And we're going to spend a lot of our time today in John 15. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to that passage and get ready to take some notes in there. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put it on the screen for you. John 15:1 says, Jesus says, I am the real vine and my father is the farmer. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is the night that he's betrayed. So they went from um, having communion at the Last Supper, and they are now journeying to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to get arrested. And on their way, uh, scholars believe they were walking through a vineyard, which I think is so cool. It's so cool to look at not only the context when you're reading a passage, and then the context of the whole Bible and who God is around it, but also the cultural context of what is Jesus doing when he is talking to us? So he's walking with his disciples through a vineyard at night, and he says, I'm the real vine. I'm the vine. My father, he's the farmer. So I'm the vine. That means I'm also the stem the branches, the fruit, the flowers. I'm the vine. I'm the whole plant. Jesus is the vine. Got it? Yeah. And God, he's the farmer. So he cares for the vine. He cares for the vineyard. That's who he is. And when we trust in Jesus, God does this really cool thing where, you know, he says we're a branch laying on the ground and he picks us up. He grafts us into the vine. And so all of a sudden, we are connected to Jesus, which is good news because in the Garden of Eden, we were separated from God. Uh, Adam and Eve were separated from God because of their sin. Uh, basically, they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they didn't trust God, and there were lots of consequences that happened, and they got disconnected. But because of Jesus, when we trust in him, when we believe in him, God reconnects us to himself. That's such good news. Come on. We don't connect ourselves. We simply believe. The farmer is the one who grafts the branch back in. And we're going to look at it together. I think it's Romans 11 and verse 19. It says the only reason you're on the tree is because your graft took when you believed and because you're connected to that belief nurturing root 
And then we're going to go back to verse 16. It says, behind and underneath all this, there is a holy, God-planted, God-tended root. If the primary root of the tree is holy, there's bound to be some holy fruit. So Jesus is the vine. He is holy. When we trust in Jesus, God the farmer picks us up and he connects us to Jesus. And all of a sudden, as Jesus is... So are we in this world because we are one. Jesus is the whole plant, but we're connected to him. You don't look at a vine and say, oh, there's a vine and then there's an, a, an attached branch. No, no, no. You're like, oh, that's a whole vine. And that's how God looks at us too. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Jesus is holy and we are holy because we are connected to him. Yes. And because we are holy, what we do is holy. Because he is fruitful, he is love, he gives us the fruit of love. And so we live out love. Because he is joy, we have the fruit of joy and we give it out. He is peace, he is kindness, he is patience, he is goodness. That's who he is. We are one with him. So that is who we are. Jesus, the vine, produces fruit in us through the living water of the Holy Spirit. And it's holy fruit because the tree is holy, his fruit is holy, and we're the branch that gets to hold on to the holy fruit to to display it, to say, taste and see that God is good. The branches, they don't make the fruit happen. It's actually the leaves on the vine. They're really big, and we're going to see it in a little bit. They're really big, and they collect sunlight, and photosynthesis basically sends all the sugar to the fruit. The branch doesn't do that. Without the vine, there's no fruit. The branch, it just receives the flow and displays the fruit. That's who we are. So let's go back to uh, John 15, 4. We're going to skip a couple verses there. I want to give you some more context before we get to them. Jesus says, live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. So Jesus says, make your home in me. It's the difference between being at your home where you're relaxed You're resting. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to do anything. You have ownership at your house, yes, versus going to someone else's house where you're like, oh, kids, don't forget to put socks on because they might not want you to wear shoes in the house and I don't want your stinky feet all over everything. When you go to someone else's house, it's different. It's not as open. It's not as resting. It's not as intimate. Most people... When we trust in Jesus, we we decide, I got to try to live like a Christian. I got to go to Jesus's house and I got to do the right things and have the right values and follow all the rules. But that's not what this is saying. Resting in Jesus means that he is our life. He is our home. We don't have to try anything. We rest in him. Separated from him, like that branch on the ground, we're dead. We're dead. A branch without a vine, it's dead. But when we're grafted in, we have life. Jesus lives through us. And so we don't have to try to live like Jesus. We can't do that anyway. He was perfect. We're not. It's impossible. But we allow everything in our lives to be permeated by the life of Jesus flowing through us. So everything becomes holy 
because he's holy, we are holy, what we do is holy. Brushing your teeth becomes holy. It could be a moment you spend with God. Taking your kids to school becomes holy. Driving to work becomes holy. Eating, drinking, walking around your whole everyday life, you can give it as an offering to God and simply say, God, I trust you with this thing. I trust you with what I'm doing. I trust you with this moment. I acknowledge you. And what happens is it's just, it's not normal life. It's holy life. It's life lived with Jesus living through us because we are joined to him. Jesus says, live in me, rest in me, remain in me, some translations say. Make yourself at home. Don't perform. That means the next time you have a, tr- a trial, a problem, you're not like, oh, God, can you make something happen? You're not like, oh, God, I'm just going to solve the problem myself. No, no. When we make our home in him, the first thing we do when problems come, we let him love us. We rest in him. And what happens as we focus on him, we stop focusing on our problems, we receive from him. And at the cross, he purchased healing for us. He purchased joy and peace and all those things that we need. So when we rest in him, we start to receive what he has already given us. It is already finished. Come on. The Bible says in Jesus, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. That means everything. He's our total supply. Just like a branch connected to a vine, he nourishes us. He produces fruit. We don't have to struggle. We don't have to try. We don't have to work hard. No, no, no. You don't have to try to live in Jesus. The Bible says anyone in Christ, they are a new creation. Our identity is changed and life flows from the vine. We become branches and we rest in him. You don't have to try to be a Christian just like you don't have to try to be married. How many of you are married in here? Great job, you know that. How many are not married? Is anybody confused about if they're married or not? Okay, in the same way, When we trust in Jesus, we are part of the vine. We don't have to try to be that. We went from dead wood to in the vine. Come on, it's good news. Now, in that relationship, we get to choose what kind of relationship we want it to be like. In my marriage with my husband, we choose to make time for each other. We choose date night. We choose to have a life-giving relationship. We choose to be intimate with one another. I choose to tell him about my heart and my emotions, and he chooses to do the same for me. We could choose not to do that. We could choose to be roommates. We could choose to be married but not be friends. In the same way with our relationship with Jesus, we are connected to him. We are on the vine. But he lets us determine how much of him we want. And we see it in John 15, 5. Let's look at it together. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. He says, you can have an intimate and organic relationship with me just by spending time with me, by being vulnerable with me, by being honest, not performing, not pretending, not putting on a show, not trying to be perfect, not trying to be good enough, but being real with him. Just like we sang about, I can be real with you. 
say anything and not be afraid. That's an intimate relationship where our Father knows our heart and we know His. We don't have to role play before God. You can sit honestly before Him and before you know it, what happens is His grace, it starts to overflow in your life. You sense His grace. And then you read your Bible and you come to church and you pray to see who you already are because of Jesus. Not to try to earn something or be a good Christian. We spend time with him to get to know him, to rest in him. When we have this connection with him, the harvest is abundant. You will bear fruit. And fruit, that's a life of success according to God. It's character, it's giving away grace to other people. It's God giving you the desires to do what he wants you to do, what he created you to do, and then helping you to do those things. Before Jesus, we often repeat the same patterns on autopilot. We have the same cycles. We have the same things we struggle with, same attachment styles, same coping mechanisms. But as we let God heal us, as we let Jesus heal us, he breaks off old patterns and mindsets and he replaces them with fruit. And as you feed on his forgiveness in your life and your right standing in him, dead leaves start to fall off and guilt falls off. Leaves of fear fall off. Addiction falls off. Sin falls off. It gets pushed out by the new life in Jesus. And you start to have new leaves, new thoughts, new attitudes that aren't from you. They're from him. New flowers, new passions, new dreams, new behaviors, new habits that flourish in your life. And it's fruit from resting in him. But separated from Jesus... We can't produce anything of substance. We have no life flow. Separated from Jesus, we can do a lot of things, but not things that matter for eternity. And that's what he's saying. Apart from me, you can do nothing of substance, nothing that lasts forever, no no fruit that remains. Because if you think about heaven, heaven's economy, it's different than earth's. The Bible says, up there they walk on streets of gold. Here, we work for gold, right? We can't understand it. They're like, gold is nothing to us. And we're like, yeah, but I got to work to earn a living. You can't do anything that matters for eternity without Jesus. When we're completely dependent on him, we find real, long-lasting success. Without him, we cannot produce fruit. Without us, he will not. He chooses to have us trust him. He chooses then to produce his fruit in us, but he won't force you to have success. He won't force you to experience his grace. He waits patiently. He says, will you trust me? He's waiting for you to stop struggling in your own attempts to deserve his favor. He's waiting for you to depend on him. Being with him, it makes all the difference. In Acts, Peter and John, everybody saw them. They're like, wow, they are bold. They are fruitful. Bible says they were unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus, and so there was fruit in their life. Being with Jesus changed them. Being with Jesus transformed them. Not any education. They were unschooled men. Not because they were special. They were ordinary men. They had simply been with Jesus, and he offers that to all of us today. All right, so if we're we're looking at this story, God is the farmer. Jesus is the vine. The Holy Spirit's the living water. We're the branches connected to the vine. And he produces the fruit 
through us. So now we're going to go back and look at those other verses that we skipped. John 15, 1 and 2. I am the real vine and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. What? So if I, if I don't produce fruit, if Jesus doesn't produce fruit through me, he's going to cut me off? And so we hear this verse and we're like, should I be afraid of God? Like he's going to cut me off from his grace supply? We're like, oh no, okay. I just need to do better. I need to try hard. I need to strive more. I need to work harder and be holier. I need to do this thing and produce fruit. But the thing is, we are already holy because of Jesus. We cannot produce fruit on our own. So what's the deal with this verse? Every English translation of the Bible says cuts off, except for one. That's the Passion Translation. The Bible, it's the inerrant word of God. It's from him. But it is translated by humans. And if you think about the thousands of verses in the Bible, it's very impressive that we only made mistakes a couple of times. When you know your God and you read a verse like this that says he's going to cut you off and you know that's not who he is because the rest of his word doesn't match with that, you know that's not who he is from experience, then you need to look at the original language. And so um, we'll put up the Passion Translation for you, and here's what it actually says. It says, I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father, verse 2. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. God lifts us when we are not producing fruit. When we're going through a hard season, he lifts us. He props us up. He positions us. He helps us. That's our heavenly father. He lifts us. So if you have your Bible, and it's not the Passion Translation, which mine is not. I have the message. Go ahead and scribble out, cuts off, and write lifts up. Because that's the truth. That's the original language and God's original intent. Um, the word that we struggle with translating is airo. We'll put it on the screen for you. It means to raise, take up, lift. He lifts up. This word's used over and over in the Bible. Jesus spoke it when he said to the layman, lift up your mat and walk. Wouldn't make sense if he said, cut off your mat. Okay. He says to his disciples, lift, if you lift up a serpent, you will not be harmed. It's kind of weird if he's like, if you cut off a serpent, you will not be harmed. He prayed for Lazarus, and the Bible says his eyes lifted up to the heavens. It'd be weird if Jesus was like, his eyes cut off towards the heavens. Doesn't make sense. So it can be translated as cut off. That is not the normal and more common usage, and it's not correct in the context of this passage. It's not correct in who God is in the context of the Bible. And the, the sad thing is the enemy takes these little translation errors and he twists them, and then that's how we relate to God. And we say, oh God, I'm afraid of you. You might cut me off. I have to do things myself in my own power. But that is not the truth, and that is not who God is. And the cool thing The cool thing about Jesus is when he speaks to us in these parables, he's using real 
life situations. So he's really in a vineyard, and he's talking about something that people of his day would have common knowledge of. There's lots of examples of farming and vineyards in the Bible. And even today, we can go to vineyards and learn what Jesus is saying. Vine dressing does not say that when a branch is not bearing fruit, you should cut it off. This week, Mary and I, we went to a vineyard to see for ourselves. And we have a picture of us there. So fun. This is my first time in my life ever being to a vineyard or a winery. Have you guys ever been? It was beautiful weather. This was um, Dr. Constantine uh, Frank uh, Winery in Hammondsport. And I want to give a shout out to Chase Bailey because he hooked us up with a viticulturist. Come on. Because I don't know anything about vineyards, but I can talk to someone who does. And so uh, the person who was there was so gracious to let us interview him on camera just about vine dressing. And so uh, the first video we have for you today, he's talking about vines that are fruitless. They're all over the place and they have no fruit. Let's see what he says about it. So you can see it's still in its rough phases. All the vine, uh, the vines are sort of tangled. They're choosing their own directions. They're trying to find the sun. They're running it all over the place. So the, lot, the, the leaves get spread out very evenly and they get trained so that they stay inside of these barriers. And then the canopy, which is what we call the portion of the leaves, we move that up to the top. And that way it's got good light exposure from the top so that the sun hits all the leaves and really maximizes the ripeness. And the fruit is protected down here on the lower side so that it has a chance to stay fresh and vibrant. I love that, that's so good. Vine dressing agrees with what the Bible is saying. He didn't look at all those branches and say, we're going to cut them all off. They're not making fruit. No, no, no. He said, the vine dresser, the farmer is responsible for them. And since he's responsible, he lifts them up and puts them in a trellis. He's like, oh, they don't have fruit. I'm going to take ownership of that. I'm going to help them bear fruit. And so they become fruitful because of what he does, not because of anything that they do. And he lifts them and he trains them. And that's who our God is. Come on. And in that trellis, in the safety of that trellis, guiding them as they grow, the air circulates. They experience more sunshine. If there's too much shade, they would get diseased. And they're more accessible to be tended to by the farmer when they're lifted up. And that's who our gentle God is. He, he takes them in this safe framework trellis and he helps them grow. What a beautiful picture of how he helps us. He lifts us by his grace. He lovingly tends to us. He does not cut us off. He is gentle. We're going to look at Psalm 1835. It talks about God's character. It says, You have given me the shield of your salvation. Salvation comes from God. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You lift me up in your gentleness. There's so many verses in the Bible about how God is the lifter of our head. He lifts us up at the proper time. He doesn't cut us off. He doesn't push us down. That's why every week when you leave this place, you should leave feeling lifted up. You should leave feeling encouraged and inspired because that's who our God is. He lifts us. That's what he does. When we're going through a fruitless season, he supports us. He's not like, oh, 
I'm just disappointed in you now. Cut you off. Not him at all. Oh, you're not bearing fruit? Let me gently help you. Let me help you become who I made you to be. You're my branch. I care about you. I'm responsible for you. And, and as the branches are in the trellis, they also start to twirl around one another. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of the church. You know, God gets us in this environment. We support one another. We're connected to the vine. We're growing together. We depend on each other. And that's how God set up the church. He set it up as a family that all of us would be relating to each other, relying on one another, and have relationships with each other, have friendships, be a family. And in two weeks, our, our next series is called Ohana, which means family. And it's really all about how the church is a family. I hope you can join us for that. We're going to look at the rest of what Jesus says, uh, John 15, 2. Every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back, so it will be even more so it will bear even more. He prunes it back. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Okay, so the first thing he does, he lifts up. When you're not bearing fruit, he lifts you up. If you are fruitful, then he prunes you. And we don't get excited about this. We're like, oh, pruning. That sounds hard. Sounds like some more cutting away, cutting off. I don't know if I want to do that. But the thing is, when you're bearing fruit, he's like, I have more fruit for you. And what pruning means is not always what we think it means. So we're going to go to the Greek. Let's look at the original language. It's kathairo. Kathairo. First definition of that is to cleanse, purify, and yes, prune. So this is a word with multiple layers. And the first definition is to cleanse. And if you go to a vineyard and you learn from a vine dresser, you'll see that what they do is they get a bucket of water and the branches that are uh, near the ground, they go to them and they cleanse them. They actually wipe them off because they're that valuable. Because if they're down in the dust and the dirt, they'll start to get moldy and mildewy and decay and not be fruitful. And that's such a beautiful picture of what God does for us. The blood of Jesus, it cleanses us. The word of God, it washes us. It purifies us. Come on. He's so good. It's possible you have something that God wants to clean up, something that you need to trust him with. Maybe there's a place where you're holding on to unforgiveness. And he's like, if you will just trust me with that, I will cleanse it with my blood and I will give you the ability to forgive. As I have forgiven, because you are connected to Jesus, you have the ability to forgive. I'll teach you that. I'll train you how. He goes around to each branch that's in the dust and he cleanses us. Oh, you have a belief that's holding you back? Let me wash you in the truth of my word. Let me set you free of what I really say about who you are. So he cleanses us. And then the other meaning of this word is to prune. Without pruning, the branches produce less and less fruit every year. Uh, fruitful branches actually get cut back to nothing at the end of the season so that they can rest. And we have a video of that for you as well. As the pruning goes through in the winter, uh, this is all clean. It's all bare. So all you really end up with is the original vine here and the knobs that go with it. And eventually, when it starts over again, it all spreads out. And so when it spreads out, you get new foliage, you'll get new shoots, new growth like this. And that's really what helps foster it into the next year. So it needs a time to rest. And the winter time is that. 
The other thing about the pruning process is that, like with all grapevines, if you don't prune them, they will eventually stop producing fruit. It becomes a little complacent. So instead of producing all this fruit, next year it might produce half this fruit. And then the year after that, half that fruit again. And pretty soon it won't make any grapes at all because it's, it's comfortable. When you are fruitful, God will prune you. First, so that you can rest in him. I love that vine dressing says the same thing the Bible says, you can rest in him. But when your life, it bears a lot of fruit, God invites you to go deeper with him, to experience who he is more, to be more dependent on him, to experience more of his rest through the gentle promptings of the Holy Spirit, to let go of needing to be in control and to hold on loosely to everything in your life. What happens is he takes the places where we're complacent, where we've just accepted things as they are, and he prunes things away so that we can produce more fruit. Maybe you're complacent in the way you've always done things, but Jesus is saying, I want to invite you to embrace more of my rhythms. That Sabbath thing that Pastor Ash has always been talking about, I want to invite you to experience a rest day with me once a week. I want to invite you to to um, experience my gifts, to experience all the good things that I have for you, to experience me. Maybe that show you watch, that game you play, it's not bad, but it's not the best for you. Maybe God wants to prune that out of your life so that he can replace it with better things. Maybe your old friends who feel like they drain the life out of you, but you know, you, you don't want to be mean. You want to be friends with them. Maybe God's trying to prune those out of your life and say, you need relationships that will help you grow and help you thrive. Maybe he's pruning away your need to be right in your marriage because it's hurting your spouse. Maybe he's pruning away good things in this season and having you say no to them so in the next season you can produce more fruit. God can produce more fruit in you. Uh, we actually have a picture of what it looks like when a, a, a vine is pruned all the way down. It's a stump. You see the little stump? This is intense pruning, okay? They don't just cut off a few branches. They cut off everything. Sometimes when it looks like God is pruning away what you need, you didn't need it anyway. The vine doesn't need all that other stuff to produce fruit. It needs the pruning to thrive. I think about Gideon. God pruned away most of his army. He had an army of 32,000 men. He's like, yeah, this is awesome. We're going to win. And over a process of pruning, God took it down to 300. 300! Talk about pruning. Talk about trust. But less men meant it was more of a miracle for Gideon to experience. More fruit. You can trust him. When he's pruning, fruit is coming. You can ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to prune from my life? What do you want to wash? Something that's always been there that you want to cleanse and restore. We got to trust the farmer to know what needs pruning, and then we trust him to do it. We don't try to be the farmer. He does the work. We rest. For me, he's pruning away mindsets around my children. Ryder's been sick a lot lately, and I've just um, heard people's stories of childhood trauma and abuse, and it just makes me want to protect my children so much. You know, there's so much evil in the world, but God is showing me at the end of the day, he's the only one who can protect them. I can't. A relationship with him is the very best thing that I can give them, and it's enough. 
It's enough for their health. It's enough for their safety. It's enough for their future. But that's something that God is working and pruning away in me. So I can say, God, you love these kids more than I do. I'm going to do my very best with them. But at the end of the day, I trust you. I have peace in you. I rest in what you've done. John 15, 3, it says, you are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. You're already pruned back by the message I have spoken. So Jesus is saying, just hearing about me and believing in me, your life has started to change. And God uses every circumstance in your life to produce more fruit. When we went to the vineyard, they were showing us that they had had a frost and not realizing what frosts do. I was like, oh no, that is terrible. I'm so sorry that happened. Because, you know, sometimes in the gardening world, if you have a frost, it kills everything. But he's like, no, no, no. A frost is a really, really good thing because it produces more fruit. Let's check it out. So it's a process that would be great if we could do it artificially because the artificial process would make more, more fruit and higher quality fruit every year. Oh, wow. But you can't really fake a frost. So it produces these really pretty uh, grapes. You can't fake a frost. Frost is really good. We wish we could do frost all the time, which is so good. I love that God uses hard things in our life in the same way to prove our faith. He uses hard things to help us to experience him at a deeper level. When trouble comes, we're connected to him. We remain in him. We rest in him. We don't worry. And he produces the fruit that we can never produce on our own. John 15, 7 through 8 says, Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. He's saying, before you trusted in me, you were dead in your sins. You were dead wood. And you remain that way until you believe in me. But once we've believed, it's not God who cuts us off. God grafts us in. Once we've believed, if we choose not to trust Jesus in different areas of our lives, we cut ourselves off from his grace supply. We cut ourselves off when we try to live according to our own efforts, when we think, I have to prove something, I have to earn something, instead of resting in who he says we are. Galatians 5.4, the early church had the same problem. It says, I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. So you can have a satisfying relationship with the Holy Spirit through Jesus, or you can do your own religious thing. You can try to prove yourself. You can try to earn something. But when you do that, you fall from grace. Falling from grace, it doesn't mean sinning. It means not receiving grace. The fruit of not receiving grace is that we don't see ourselves correctly. We don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. We don't see God the way he is. And so then we do choose sin, but because we haven't received his grace. Of course, your life is gonna die and decay if you disconnect yourself from the source of life. It's possible to believe in Jesus and cut yourself off through your own self-efforts. 
You can have as much of God as you want. You can trust him in every area. Or you can say, God, I'll trust you here, here, and here. But this one's mine. And when you do that, you don't receive his grace supply. Or you can say, God, it's really hard, but I'm going to trust you here too. And what happens is when you trust him, you're able to receive from him. And what he does with your trust is better than you could do on your own anyway. If you're at work and you feel like, I need to prove my worth, I need to prove that I deserve a promotion, I need to prove that I deserve this project, and I have to do everything perfectly, and you put your identity in your work instead of Jesus, you're gonna be going through your day and you're gonna feel stressed. And you're gonna go through your day and you're gonna get frustrated with other people because that's gonna be your fruit of your own efforts. But if you will say, God, my identity is in you. I'm doing this project to your glory. I trust you with it. God, give me wisdom as I do this project. I receive your peace. I receive your joy, his fruit. It starts to display itself in your life. John 15, nine through 10. Jesus says, I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. We read that and we say, if I am good, then he will love me. But again, that's not what this is saying. Other translations say, if, if you, no, it says, you will keep my commands if you love me. You will. It's a promise because Jesus has already fulfilled all the commandments. He's already fulfilled the law. He says, you will keep my commands when you love me. It's a promise. He says, that's what I've done. I've kept my father's commands. I've made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you. I put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil, fruit that's eternal. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives to you. Jesus produces fruit through us. Jesus said, you will do even greater works than me. Because when Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, it was just him, one root. But now all this time, we've all been grafted into his branch and it is a mighty branch that spreads everywhere in the world. And it's Jesus living through us. Come on. Now there are thousands of branches of Jesus loving people through us, producing fruit through us. Our part is to rest in his love. His part is to live through us. And when he walked the earth, he healed the sick. He delivered people who were oppressed. He loved people. And he's still doing the same thing through us. You have everything you need to do everything that God has called you to do. It's his fruit. He's the supplier. He chose you. He gives you a purpose. It's the same purpose that we all have to bear fruit, much fruit, eternal fruit. Because of Jesus, we have the fruit of gentleness. That means a calm response to everything that life throws at us. Gentleness is not harsh. And at the same time, it's not compromising. 
It's the gentleness of God, the farmer, who lifts up vines and trains them in the way they should go. The gentleness of God, the farmer, who cleanses his vines. The gentleness of God, the farmer, who prunes his branches. God, the farmer, who is responsible for the fruit. It's the gentleness of Jesus, the vine. Of God, the Holy Spirit, who's the living water, who sustains us. And we, we're just the branch. We let the fruit flow. To close today, I want to read the words of Isaiah. He's prophesying the arrival of Jesus. And it's just such a powerful passage about Jesus being the root. And it talks about everything that Jesus would endure at the cross and everything that Jesus did for us. So let's look at it together. This is who Jesus is. And it's found in Isaiah 53. We're going to read the whole chapter. It says, Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a dry root in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on, passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is, it was our pains he carried. It was our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins, it was my sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on Him, on Jesus. He was beaten, He was tortured, but He didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, He was led off. Did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he never heard a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, this was God's plan, that Jesus would take on all of the punishment for our sin. The plan was that he gave himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come through it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. That's our Jesus. That's our vine. That's who he is. Because he was crushed, because he was beaten, he took on all, all the places we missed the mark, all the places we fell short, all the places we thought we could do it better than God. He took on all of those. And he gives us his righteousness. And he gives us his goodness. And he gives us his love and his freedom and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and all these things we can't do on our own. 
He simply says, do you trust me? We don't do any of it. We just trust him. We just believe. And God does the work in us. He does the work through us. This whole story that Jesus is talking about, he's saying, who am I to you? If you've believed in me, you're grafted into the vine. And that relationship, it can be as intimate as you want it to be. But if you're still lying on the ground, if you're disconnected, if you're dead wood, if you're dead in your sins, God the farmer, God the father, he wants to lift you up. He wants to connect you back to him, to have a relationship with him. And we do that simply by believing, simply by trusting him.